in the last year, but mostly last week. On the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. No receiver in the game has improved more in the last couple of years than Devontae Adams. So Devontae Adams is for real? Yeah. And... Dan Levitard claims that he is an aficionado of advanced metrics and he's trying to get answers to the sport for which we have very little understanding of what we're actually watching. And then he brings on a guy that specializes in advanced analytics and he walks out of the studio. What a fraud. Well, and well, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is a little bit overrated, but he could be as good as people think, but it's all risk right now. And. And they think, oh, what's this pretty light? Like a moth to a flame. Oh, what's this light? What's this flame? No, 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 Jesus! And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! And I'm not on video, am I? We need to wrap it up. And this is why you're the podfather. And the difference is Mike Gusecki probably won't be tackled by the penis anytime soon. And Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And it's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? Welcome into the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Matt Kelly, who you can find on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What's going on, Matt? Did I nail that or what? You did because you said man, then you said myth, and then you said legend. <laughs> you call me a legend. I'm going to be a fan of that introduction. Yep, absolutely. Um, I guess your fantasy is public enemy number one in some circles, maybe. So I'm pumped to get on here with you, have a chance to pick your wait, mind. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Public enemy number one? What did I do? I don't know. If one goes on and they peruse fantasy Reddit, I believe that they will see some inflammatory comments, uh, one of which may refer to you as public enemy number one. Is that right? According to Reddit, I am public enemy number one. Well, I have a message for all you Redditites. You don't matter. I'm the podfather. I have the audience. No one is reading your posts. So you can hit the print button on your browser. Print off your whining diatribe. Roll it up and shove it up your ass. Did you ever consider going on steroids and auditioning for WWE? I'm not a big steroids guy. Although later in life, taking testosterone improves your health. It's a good thing for men to do later in life to start to take testosterone injections. That's a recommended treatment to help to guard against the aging process. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it makes some sense. So would you actually consider doing it? Yes, absolutely. I have a plan in place. Once I turn 60, I'm going to start ramping up the human growth hormone. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I think we look forward to, to seeing what happens there. Yeah. You'll have to wait 20 plus years. That sounds good. To see an enhanced version <laughs> of the Podfather in action. One can only imagine with that high T that you will be getting an erection and climbing to the top of a cliff and yelling Geronimo as you plummet down. That's right. I, I'm fascinated by the sensation 
of free falling with an erection. You're absolutely right about that. And one day, one day, I will experience it. And I feel like that's what it's like to tout Josh Allen. Oh, God. It's just jumping off a cliff with an erection. I mean, that's what Josh Allen touts do every time they express enthusiasm about his potential. Yeah. So are you ready for the Josh Allen experience in Buffalo? Yeah, I'm ready in that uh, I just think it's going to go horribly wrong. So at Rotoviz, I've been doing our subjective projections and I've done some historical projections. But so as I was going through the subjective projections, working out team level assumptions, going down, distributing target shares, rushing shares, making my way through running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, it rolls up to the quarterback. So I'm finished. I say it's time to review my Josh Allen stat line. I get about 15 touchdowns in a 56% completion percentage. For about one second, I question that. Then it occurs to me that is the actual equivalent of what he posted in college. And then I had to question if I was actually giving him too much credit. So that worked out. You were giving him too much credit because that assumes average quarterback play. Well, that's that's a little bit below average. Buffalo's supporting cast is not going to be as productive and efficient with Josh Allen throwing the passes. It's not going to happen. And then what happens when he has a four interception game? It happened to Nathan Peterman last season. Josh Allen is even more reckless with the football. There's no chance Josh Allen plays a full 16 game season. Zero. Zero percent chance Josh Allen plays 16 games this season. Really? You think so? You don't think that Buffalo is the type of organization that will just trot him out there the whole time? I mean, okay, last season, let's look at what they've done, right? They had Taylor, who's good. Because it's a team of 53 guys, and they are playing for their next contract, and they need the quarterback to enable their production. It's a symbiotic relationship. That's why the team would not allow Josh Allen to start 16 games because his exasperated teammates would eventually approach the coach and say, you're going to have a mutiny in the locker room unless you bench this clown because he can't play. Yeah, no, I I mean, I'm completely with you on that. Although I actually will not be shocked in the least if he somehow weathers the 16 games. Because I I think what's going to happen... Yes, you should be shocked. That would be one of the most shocking occurrences in the league in 2018. Josh Allen playing 16 games. That would be stunning. Well, they're going to have to publicly then, very publicly accept and say, hey, we made a terrible decision going with Allen at this spot in a quarterback class where there were so many other options. No, 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 no. They're going... He's going to get a fake injury. You think so? That's what's going to happen. Yeah, it'll be a fake injury for Josh Allen. Just watch. Just watch. I mean, during the season, though, can you imagine streaming Josh Allen in any circumstance? The only way that that could possibly happen would be if you're assuming that he's so bad that he's going to get the team so far behind that he's going to just accrue some garbage time production. But even at that, I don't see it coming to fruition. There's not enough weapons around him. He's so horrible. I'm not viewing him as a guy that's ever going to get in that I can rely on to stream. There's always going to be a better option with a better matchup out there. Josh Allen's inefficiency will also throttle LaShawn McCoy because one of the underappreciated forces pushing running back production is quarterback play. Because if you have efficient and productive quarterback play, you visit the red zone a lot more frequently. LaShawn McCoy is not going to have many red zone carries with Josh Allen under center. But when you look back at last year, LaShawn McCoy was incredibly productive. I recorded a road of his radio show with yourself and Matthew Friedman, and you posed a trivia question, and the answer was LaShawn McCoy. Talk to us about LaShawn McCoy's 
2016 productivity. I mean, I think that he had an outstanding uh, 2017, but it was fairly silent. I didn't hear a lot of talk about McCoy because we had guys like Kamara, Hunt, Fournette, Cook getting into the fold, but he finished seventh overall, nine in points per game. He was third in total opportunity, third in attempts, eighth in targets, fourth in yards, 10 in touchdowns. And uh, there's a simple metric that I came up with called utility that is basically a barometer of how useful a player was for his owners. He ranked fifth among running backs, 13 rushes beyond 20 yards, three receptions for more than 20. So 5% of his rushes, 5% of his targets were for big chunks of yardage. And he was one of only five players to go for four or more games with 25 points, finishes an RB1 in eight of 15 games, top 24, 12 times, top 36, 14 times. And we did not hear much talk about him. So he was outstanding last year. Uh, there's another thing I've been working on called historical distribution scores, which use historical projections that we build at Rotoviz to then describe a player's range of outcomes in the coming season, which is something we're always talking about. He's still ranked 11th at his age. So it's showing there's more in the tank. So he's an odd situation this year. I do have concerns though, that because Allen will be so bad, that the defense will be able to focus so heavily on McCoy. There's also the legal trouble. So that you have kind of an odd situation here. So though he was so good, I'm kind of moving back my optimism, optimism on him this season because of those concerns. We chase touches and targets season to season. And that's the reason why on our world famous in quotes draft kit, you look at the extreme cheat sheet, LaShawn McCoy is in the top 20 in both PPR, half PPR, and standard formats. When you're in the middle of the second round, you don't think to draft LaShawn McCoy. But once Melvin Gordon is off the board and you want to push the button on a running back, it should be LaShawn McCoy. It doesn't feel good. Drafting LaShawn McCoy never feels good. But when you take a clinical, rational approach, you push the button on LaShawn McCoy in seasonal leagues and in Dynasty... You go out and trade for him because he can be acquired for a second round pick and that's a league winner in a dynasty league. And you just acquired him for a future asset that will likely never become fantasy relevant for a full season. Yeah, McCoy is a great rental uh, for this season, especially when you consider, like you said, the volume the opportunity that you're going to get, that is rare. There's few guys that you can go to make a move for right now that are going to be that strong of a rental for this year. So I'm in full support of going out, trying to find a way to get McCoy on your roster, especially if you're challenging. You think you have the chance to win the championship this season. He's similarly priced to Marshawn Lynch. And LaShawn McCoy is projected to outscore Marshawn Lynch this year. So why not just trade for LaShawn McCoy? But Marshawn Lynch is also underappreciated in all formats. Who's more underappreciated? Is it Marshawn Lynch or is it Isaiah Crowell? Because Isaiah Crowell is younger and the more attractive dynasty asset. I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm here so I won't get fined. Am I the first person that has inputted their own drops onto the show? Yes, that was <laughs> so impressive. Yeah, it's Marshawn Lynch. You just became one of the best co-hosts in the history of the Sonic Truth podcast with a Marshawn Lynch drop. Because one of the most famous drops in the history of the Sonic Truth podcast is Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I'm, I'm glad. If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the show sheet once. Listen to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once. You would know all these things. <laughs> That's my favorite moment in show history. That's why it's featured in the intro. Gotcha. Come on. You don't listen to the show, Dave. Just admit it. 
I listen sometimes. I try not to no. <clears throat> I try not to listen to too much of <clears throat> any one thing so that I don't start to develop sure. biases or so that also Friedman and I aren't yeah, talking about Yeah, of course. Yes, no, yeah. Good rationalization. Of course. Yes, yes. Oh, that's that's the reason. You don't want the Podfather brand to infiltrate the Dave Cabin approach to podcasting. I get it. I guess you could put it like that, but it's Marshawn Lynch, and I think it's easy to lose sight of just how good Marshawn Lynch has been. So we're going to go back a little bit here, but you go back to 13. He was fifth in running backs, fourth ranked running back in 14. He only played seven games in 2015, so that's fine. Comes back in 2017, finishes as the 25th running back when people had thought that he'd fallen off. Uh, still went top 24 in 50% of his games. Now, I think it's easy for people people to assume that he was just compiling these stats when you look at that depth chart he was in. Still, though, he ranked 21 in my utility. 17% of his receptions went for 20 or more yards. So the more important thing, though, here is he was still skilled, right? He was second in evaded tackles, one in juke rate, and three in yards created per carry. So though I've always been hoping that Cruel would break out, I've been a sucker for him since he committed to Georgia holding a bulldog, I have to say it's Lynch here because at this point, people are assuming that he's this old guy that's lost his skill, but I think he showed last year that he still has it. He didn't score a lot of fantasy points because most of his touches were those empty calorie between the 20s touches. Only 25 red zone touches was outside the top 24 running backs and only 31 targets. So 20 receptions ranked 57 among qualified running backs. So he wasn't scoring in the passing game and he wasn't scoring in the paint. That's why he only scored 11 fantasy points per game. That's how that happens. And we talked about this with Josh Allen's impact on LaShawn McCoy. Derek Carr was not Derek Carr last year. After the transverse process injury, Derek Carr was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league and was not able to matriculate the ball down the field and put Marshawn Lynch in scoring situations. With Derek Carr healthy, a coaching upgrade, the return of Amari Cooper, the addition of Jordy Nelson. Marshawn Lynch will have more scoring opportunities than Isaiah Crowell. And when you're thinking about which between the tackles grinder to roster, that's the key differentiator. How many goal line carries, how many red zone touches do you think that player will get? The Raiders will be a lot more efficient than the Jets this season. Now, let's look at upside, pure upside. Rex Burkhead on one hand, Jamal Williams on the other. Okay. Who has just more pure upside? Now, we know in Dynasty that Jamal Williams is more valuable yeah. because he's younger. But who has more upside this season? Um, It's Rex Burkhead. I can see how you might think that Williams being positioned to be the guy in the Packers backfield in that Green Bay offense would be the answer, but it's not. It's Rex Burkhead. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that, but I think the first thing that you need to look at, and despite them the Patriots wasting a pick on Sonny Michel in the first round— it's Burkhead. Awful. That pick is, it still kills me. Why did they not go with Darius Geis? I am still tilted about that. I don't understand that. Who's better for Dynasty, Ronald Jones or Sony Michelle? Oh, well, it's still Sony Michelle, yeah. Yeah, Sony Michelle at least is better than Ronald Jones, but neither are better than Royce Freeman and Kerryon Johnson. Who's a better bet this year in all formats, Royce Freeman or Kerryon Johnson? Um, to me, this one's actually not that close either. It's Royce Freeman. And you'd rather have Royce Freeman in Dynasty? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, why are you so excited about Rex Burkhead? The reason that I'm so excited about Rex Burkhead is this. 
And I, I feel strongly enough that we have to touch upon this. If we're talking about upside, okay, he's a guy that scored 58 points in the red zone last season, which was 45% of his production. We've seen how important those goal line carries, those red zone looks can be for Patriots running backs. We saw what LeGarrette Blount did two years ago in that ridiculous season. Then you look at what Deion Lewis did down the stretch last season, becoming a league winner. The Patriots have shown that they believe in Burkhead. He has a skill set that allows him to do what Lewis did. Uh, you know, he's a tremendous receiver. You go back to college at Nebraska. You think that Rex Burkhead can be an amalgam of LeGarrette Blunt and Deion Lewis? I do. I think if things break that way, he could do it. And if that were to come to fruition. Oh, my God. Right. You put Deion Lewis and LeGarrette Blunt in a particle acceleration chamber and you turn all the molecules white out steps Rex Burkhead. I mean, you know, it's, he's not one for one with either player. But the point is, in that Patriots offense, there could come a situation where he's able to get, I don't know, even if he gets 80 percent of that combined amalgamation there. Imagine the upside of that. Think of how ridiculous that would be. I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you how much this slight tear of one of Rex Burkhead's knee ligaments or cartilage is going to impact him. If he's playing in preseason, if he's practicing, then I'm drafting Rex Burkhead with confidence. Why? Because I'm not a doctor. And I was recently on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld Radio. And I was listening to a clip where I was touting Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams of the New Orleans Saints will play that between-the-tackles grinder role with Mark Ingram out. I'm excited about that, and we'll talk about him in a moment. But while I was listening to my prescient analysis of Jonathan Williams, I was also touting Peyton Barber in the process that these are the running backs you want to chase. And when I hear the name LeGarrette Blunt a touchdown scorer on a prolific offense, I think of Peyton Barber, a between-the-tackles grinder on what is the NFL's signature ascending offense. I mean, name me an offense that could be more improved from 2017 to 2018 than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, they've upgraded the weaponry across the board in Tampa. There will be more points scored, more goal line carries, and that's going to be the role that Peyton Barber fills at the very least. Right now, he's starting in preseason. He could open the season as Tampa Bay's starting running back, their primary back. But at the very least, we know he will be their short yardage back and be their touchdown scorer. So where should Peyton Barber be drafted in seasonal leagues? But even more importantly, where should dynasty leaguers be drafting him in startups? Uh, well, I guess we'll answer the, the redraft question first. I think that we need to see a reversal, which perhaps could be coming as we see Jones struggling even more in camp in the preseason. I think that Barber... Every day, Dave, every day you read something new, a nugget shared by coaches, beat writers, teammates, illuminating the struggles of Ronald Jones. Well, that's because he's going to have to do more than just run forward fast, right? That's right. Today, it was reported that Bucks RB coach Tim Spencer stated publicly in college... There's probably a reason they only threw to Ronald Jones 17 times. I mean, he hit rookie running back Ronald Jones, his own back, with a sarcastic barb. 
mocking his inability to catch passes. And that's not something that's easily learned. I know you can learn to be a pass catcher. Tiki Barber learned how to stop fumbling. It's possible. Anything's possible. But it's unlikely that at this point in his career that Ronald Jones is going to start to develop soft hands. I don't think that's something that just develops with hard work. It's innate, and he doesn't have it. Well, it does seem odd, too, with the way that he profiles, that I think even if you go back to high school, you didn't see him getting involved in the receiving game. You would think it would be something that would have behooved him to work into his game. And if it hasn't come out at this point, I mean, for an undersized guy, he needs to try to differentiate himself somehow. You know, there needs to be another thing in his skill set that's going to keep him on the field. But it doesn't seem like... Name the thing in his skill set that's going to keep him on the field. He can run fast in a straight line and... I mean, I think as far as we've seen so far, that's about it. So... Right. So he's not as good in pass protection. So Jameis Winston wants Peyton Barber on the field. And in most game situations, Peyton Barber will be more efficient, including the passing game. It's amazing to say it, but Peyton Barber is the second best pass catching running back on that team after Charles Sims. It's amazing. I can't believe it, but it's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I position Barber probably in redraft. I think he should be going closer to the six now. I think he is a real shot at controlling around 60% of that offense, uh, of that opportunity. And then actually, when you run through his 2017 numbers through uh, the historical projections that I talk about, his distribution score is actually pretty strong. We see some guys getting in his comps like D'Angelo Williams, uh, Thomas Jones, and Frank Gore, guys that had one season similar to what he did last year and then ended up as 20 point per game guys the next season so I think that speaks to what you could get with a guy like Peyton Barber I'm not as optimistic as those comps are but I do think it speaks to in this improving offense that you could see him definitely finish as an RB2 because I don't think that there's any question at this point he's going to be the starter to begin camp and at this point it seems unlikely that Jones is going to be able to really get in there and overtake him so I I like him in redraft dynasty league too I think there's some reason to be excited Peyton Barber is what Royce Freeman's critics believe Royce Freeman is Worst case, Royce Freeman is Peyton Barber because Peyton Barber, like Royce Freeman, has the exceptional size adjusted agility. An 1121 agility score is 70th percentile and now make that player 5'10, 228 pounds. And a college mega producer, he exceeded a 30% dominator rating at Auburn. These are the reasons why high stakes players are rushing to draft Peyton Barber. He's up more than 50 slots on the FFPC ADP big board just in the last two weeks. Wow, that's a huge jump. He has the talent profile of a true NFL workhorse, and every day we wake up to another news item criticizing Ronald Jones. And I feel like something similar is happening in Seattle with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. But Rashad Penny is a far superior talent much more versatile than Ronald Jones, but yet forecasting his role is equally terrifying. What kind of draft pick package would you offer right now in Dynasty to tempt an owner to trade you Chris Carson? I would probably float out something like a second and a sixth. I don't care about the six. We'll see if they go for the second. That's what I would start off with because at this point... You're in Dynasty Leagues with six-round rookie picks? Which which I love because they're so unimportant, but people will still include them in trades. I don't think a second rounder is going to fetch you Chris Carson. I think the hype around Chris Carson is so hot. It's a hot air balloon. The fire is burning in this balloon, and it's rising quickly. And I just don't see 
a Chris Carson owner letting him go for anything other than a first rounder. It's going to take a first rounder at this point to get Chris Carson because his owners feel like they're one number away on the lottery ticket to a jackpot. And they want that last number revealed. Do you think it really is a jackpot with Carson, though? Like, let's say things play out. He does come in. He does assume that role. Do you think it really is hitting the jackpot? We've seen other backs struggle in Seattle uh, since Marshawn Lynch left. Do you believe that there is the capacity in that offense for him to succeed? And like, what, what do you view his ceiling as? No, I'm not out here acquiring Chris Carson because I believe Chris Carson's ceiling is much lower than most fantasy gamers believe because he's not a pass catcher. Yeah. And he lacks lateral quickness. So we talk about how Peyton Barber is a lesser version of Royce Freeman. Chris Carson is a lesser version of Peyton Barber. So I'm viewing the current Seattle backfield upheaval as a buying opportunity to go out and get Rashad Penny. That's the big takeaway. Now is the time to go out and try to get Rashad Penny in all formats, dynasty and seasonal leagues, if you've already had your draft. But of the Seattle Seahawks running backs, my highest owned player is CJ Procise by far and away, because if the starter is Chris Carson, if he's the primary back, that means the opportunity share is going to skew more heavily to CJ Procise because Chris Carson is incompetent in the passing game. In the two-minute drill, in the hurry-up offense, third downs, it's going to be CJ Procise in the game. So if anything, Chris Carson's preseason ascendance is a boon for CJ Procise. I think we're at the point with Procise where you, where you have to move on. I know he was excited when he came out of school. People were viewing him as that David Johnson light. But too much time has passed since then and now. Too much time has passed? There's been some great work done on Rotoviz by Blair Andrews looking at what happens with running backs that don't produce in their first two seasons. The probability of him becoming something now at this point in his career are so low that I think we need to move on. And even if he does get in and fill that role, I'm not sure that it's one that's going to make him this asset that you need to go out there and acquire. He's 24 years old. He had an 11.5% 80th percentile college target share. He's 6 foot 220 and he's a former wide receiver with a 109.2 89th percentile speed score. You put CJ Procise out in space, he's going to compile first downs, he's going to deliver splash plays, he's going to help your team win. I think that the Seattle Seahawks know this and they will deploy him accordingly even though his first two seasons were nullified by injury. It's not like he was healthy and not producing. If there's a study specifically looking at running backs that suffered multiple injuries in their first two seasons and couldn't produce, I think that would parallel the C.J. Procise situation more closely. But this is what happens with teams, right? They bring in these guys. We know that there's this thought process in the NFL that you have to be on the field, that you can't be hurt. So when these guys are hurt, can't make the club in the tub. Yeah, right. They lose sight of what the guy's athletic profile actually is and what they can do. And you start off with those injuries. I feel like it's very easy for you to fizzle out of the league because they don't teams don't want to give you that opportunity. They're moving on to the next.
cliche alert here. They move on to their shiny new toy, right? And I think that's what we're going to see happen with ProSize. I think he has had his, his two years in the league, wasn't able to get on the field, sustain any type of momentum, and they're going to move on from him. You're dead wrong. So CJ ProSize is not an underrated satellite back, as I contend. Who is the most underrated satellite back for Dave Cabin? Well, I mean, it's an odd answer for me here because I had to more or less start thinking about satellite backs and go down that list in my mind till I found a guy that I think people don't normally consider. But for me, I think it's Javorius Allen. Uh, you know, in his last two full seasons, he's averaged. I like this answer. He's averaged around 45 catches, two receiving touchdowns each time. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. And I think that we forget this, right? When you talk satellite backs, you don't hear people often bring up Javorius Allen. But I think if you could get him in a team where there's a solid role for a type of guy that's a satellite back, he would be one of those guys that you're focusing on. He just hasn't had a chance in that uh, Ravens offense to fully assert himself as one of these really solid uh, receiving backs. Well, look at the touch competition. It's Alex Collins and Kenneth Dixon. This is one of the weakest running back depth charts in the league. So if you're going to select an underrated satellite back that could be a satellite back plus and command a lot more touches than most fantasy gamers imagine, well, Javorius Allen fits that profile perfectly. So looking beyond satellite backs, when you look at all running backs, who's the most overrated running back in all of Dynasty? Well, I think that we've already talked about him, and that's Ronald Jones. And I say this because I've seen him in rankings still ahead of guys like Tevin Coleman and Royce Freeman. I really like Coleman. I think he's set up perfectly heading into uh, the offseason to get acquired by a team that can— really focus on him, let him show what he's going to do. But also I've seen Jones ahead of Royce Freeman. And I want to talk about Freeman for a couple of minutes. (laughs) That's just silliness. One is a full blown bell cow. He checks all the boxes. Ronald Jones checks one box speed. Okay, and so this is the other thing, Matt. So at Rotoviz, we did something called the RSI, the Rookie Scouting Index. And what we do is we go around to various sites that focus on watching film, and we collect what they're saying in their rankings, and then we contrast that with our evidence-based, data-driven approach. And the things that I were seeing, there was such a disparity uh, between what the numbers told you and the perceptions of Ronald Jones and Royce Freeman that it was ridiculous. The profiles for Ronald Jones talked about how he was this agile slasher with all of these moves. And they talked about Freeman saying that the explosiveness he showed early in his career was lost after suffering a knee injury and that it was his size and vision were the traits that were called out. In the weaknesses section, they talked about how he didn't have that style and burst that he displayed early on in college. But this is bullshit because if you look at his runs of 20 or more yards in his first two seasons and you compare that with what he did after the injury, he actually had more explosive, and he was explosive. Both Jones and Freeman were explosive, but actually uh, Freeman had more runs of 20 yards over the course of his career, some of that because he was good enough to be on the field as a rookie than any other player in the class. And so during 2014, 2015, Freeman carried the ball 534 times, recorded 27 rushes that went 20 plus yards. Between 2016 and 2017, he did so 28 times on only 407 carries. So this idea that he lost his explosiveness, it's ridiculous. In fact, he actually could have been more explosive. So there was a lot of things in his profile that were being talked about that were just patently false. As you can see, I'm pretty upset about this because I think that he's being undersold. He can catch. He's a guy that can do it all. You put him in that situation in Denver where 
Come on. Devontae Booker, Oof. he's better than Devontae Booker. Even if Devontae Booker is maybe a little bit better as a receiver, there's no reason that Freeman can't Freeman can't play all three downs. So to me, the fact that Jones is ahead of, of Freeman in dynasty rankings, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. And I'm not mad that the film grinders got it wrong with Royce Freeman because this is what they do. Film grinding is a subjective exercise. And beyond that, the analysis of film grinders is some of the best fiction that you will read in sports media. They're storytellers, Dave. They don't know what they're watching any more than anyone else. They're game watchers who are narrating the action. There's very little actionable analysis that you can glean from film-based narratives. There should be a disclaimer pasted across the front for entertainment purposes only. Do not actually draft a player for your Dynasty League team based on this analysis because it's based on nothing. Because I read know-nothing film grinders on Twitter rationalizing Ronald Jones' failures, and they will send you links to draft breakdown clips and say, I just watched two minutes of this draft breakdown clip, and I only saw one instance of Ronald Jones displaying bad vision. And it's funny, it's a six-minute draft breakdown clip, but these people are only willing to invest two minutes into the exercise, right? So that's telling. But then I go and I watch that same two minutes, because I'm like, if you're only going to invest two minutes, I'm not investing six minutes. You won't get more than two minutes out of me either. So I watch those same two minutes, and I see at least three failed runs. Just perfectly illustrating the notion that the act of observing football players run and documenting your findings is highly subjective, so much so that it's actually worthless. If you're a dynasty leaguer, you need to treat it as such for entertainment purposes only. I think, too, what happens is... It's, it's words, right? And it's easy to attach them to certain players, right? You see Ronald Jones with the dreads in a USC uniform. It's easy to label that as explosive, as a slasher, as this and as that. You look at a guy like Royce Freeman, maybe his body displays himself more as a plotter. There's so much bias that permeates into your thought process, given these visuals, uh, and you put them in certain context. It's why I don't watch the games, Dave. <laughs> it's why I don't watch football games, because the act of watching the football game skews your perspective. So by not watching, you limit your biases. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the value that you can get from watching things is if you're just kind of keeping track of volume, right, which we care about. And then if you're actually watching it with some type of goal in mind of tracking and paying attention to certain things, right? So if you're documenting data, outcomes of plays, drops, things like this, you know, I think that, that there's something that can be said for that. But it has to be more, I think, than just assigning adjectives to players, which is really what you see in most of the analysis out there. Here's an actionable data point the contract expiration date you mentioned tevin coleman yep next season he will be a free agent they've already signed Devonte freeman to a bloated contract so tevin coleman will be walking and they already have his replacement on the roster in ito smith do you agree that tevin coleman is a screaming buy in dynasty leagues yeah absolutely i've tried to make a number of trades for him i think that he has so many traits that uh we've seen other backs out there 
even Devontae Freeman be very successful with. I think Coleman can come and he can handle a significant workload. He has that great balance of receiving ability, rushing ability that I think. I see great things in his future. I think that uh, I'd love to see him somehow end up in Pittsburgh, something like that. I think he could be very successful there. So he's a guy I'm looking to acquire. Give us one very deep sleeper running back that you could draft in the final rounds of a dynasty startup. Well, it's it's Coleman's replacement in Ito Smith, a guy that for whatever reason. Yes, we love Ito Smith. In fact, I chased my co-host Nate Liss off the show after he disparaged Ito Smith, and then that was picked up on by Ito Smith advocates on YouTube, and Nate Liss's words were converted into an Ito Smith hype video. What did he say about him? Nate claims that if you played in Conference USA, if your name's not Matt Forte or D'Angelo Williams... <laughs> We've never heard of you. He dismisses Ito Smith's production at Southern Miss because Ito Smith played in Conference USA. I disagreed with it. It's bad, unfair analysis. Because when you take a step back and you look at what Ito Smith accomplished, regardless of the conference, he was one of the most productive running backs in the draft. In fact, only Royce Freeman was more productive at the college level. And Ito Smith is also an incredible athlete. So there's a reason why the Atlanta Falcons drafted him in the late fourth round. Most NFL draft analysts did not expect Ito Smith to be drafted that early. But in this case, I think the Falcons saw something. They saw the 4-5 wheels. They saw the 121.6, 68th percentile burst score. And when you watch Ito Smith play, the electricity is palpable. I'm not saying you draft him because he has great tape. What I'm saying is when you look at the metrics and you see the explosiveness, it translates onto the field. That's all you're looking for when you're watching these players play is what I'm seeing in the data reflected on the field. And with Ito Smith, it absolutely is. Yeah, I mean... The other thing to keep in mind, too, right, he compiled, I'm going to use the term compiled here if you want, 5,984 yards from scrimmage in his career. That's fine. But if you look at him in the context of his team, he had a ridiculous workhorse score um, of all the drafted yeah. running backs. He had the third highest workhorse score. He was only behind Philip Lindsay and Saquon Barkley. He also had a ridiculous dominator rating. So though he's at that Conference USA school, all we can ask him to do is dominate, which he did. With he did. after So after Jalen Rashard left, they were platooning before. Rashard goes to the NFL. Smith became a real workhorse. He put up back-to-back 1,400-yard -back seasons with 40-plus receptions. So we have a guy, the good athletic profile. He also dominated his inferior competition and he really controlled so much of his offense so it checks the boxes now I'm not saying that Edo Smith needs to be the type of guy that's going to go in there handle the work on every down but he is a guy that can certainly carve out a role and it looks like the Falcons have that role in mind for him heading right into the league that's right and I like stacking running backs. If I own Ezekiel Elliott, I want to own Rod Smith in Dynasty. And my favorite stack is the Tevin Coleman, the Edo Smith stack, because everybody wins with that stack. You get Tevin Coleman's production in that Atlanta offense in 2018. And then in 2019, Tevin Coleman could become the next Jarek McKinnon in free agency. And Edo Smith rises up the depth chart. It's a double win. It's like turning over two aces in Texas Hold'em. That's what you want. Now, there's a lot of platforms in which you can play Dynasty. 
And we've talked about my favorite best ball platform a lot recently. It's real-time fantasy sports, rtsports.com. And the reason why I love RT Sports is because for as little as $20, you can win thousands in a best ball tournament. So it's a low buy-in, high stakes. And RT Sports has rolled out a modern mobile app so that you can draft on the fly and it features real-time scoring. And I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday and he's about to participate in his home league, which is a very sophisticated league where they draft in person via auction. And when you're bidding on players, you're forced to hold back some money because the unspent auction dollars roll over to your fab budget in free agency. So there were many sophisticated components of this league. It was fascinating to me. I was like, oh, I want to be in this league. This league sounds like a lot of fun because they also keep a number of players, but the prices increase dramatically on the players year to year. So you can only keep them for a couple of years before they have to go back into the player pool. So this league was very sophisticated and required a significant amount of off-season strategy, which I love. And I also love auction drafts, in particular, in-person auction drafts. If anyone has not participated in an in-person live auction, you need to figure out a way to do one. Because fantasy football is never more fun than an in-person auction. Have you ever taken part in an in-person auction, Dave? I have not. Um, but I do love auction drafts. Uh, I think that they're a lot of fun. You get to uh, see skill really come out and people understanding strategy more so in an auction than than any other format, I think. And I also love it because I think you see a lot of people making significant errors while they're drafting in auction leagues. And I asked my buddy, well, which fantasy platform hosts this level of sophistication? And he said, RT Sports. And I said, oh, they're a sponsor. RTSports.com forward slash underworld rtsports.com forward slash underworld just go there and browse the platform check out the best ball leagues and take a look at the configuration options that they offer it'll blow you away and so far this offseason two wide receivers are blowing me away right into another contrived dichotomy if you had to overpay in dynasty knowing you're going to overpay would you rather target kenny galladay or chris godwin i'd rather overpay for godwin one major reason for this is the competition that Godwin is up against, I think, is less steep. Now, whether or not he's better than uh, Galladay, we can talk about that after. But I think that at this point, Deshaun Jackson is very much on a downward trend. I think Godwin's better than Humphreys. That leaves him just behind Evans. Uh, whereas Galladay is competing with Tanyan Jones, who I still think. Who? Kenyon Jones? Who's that? I said Kenyon Jones. I thought you said he's competing with Kenyon Jones. No, no, I said he's competing with Tate and Jones. Oh, Tate and Jones. You know, really, that right there, I think, is one of the reasons. I think that it's easier to easier to envision Godwin getting that target volume that he's going to need and really ascending to being the number two behind Mike Evans. So I think Godwin clearly is going to be that number two option behind Mike Evans, whereas Galladay... I think if he does play his way into significant playing time, which it's looking like he will, you're still going to see a split between Tate and Jones. And I think that Tate is really good and he's going to have a lot of 
opportunity regardless of what Galladay is going to do. So you put that all together, and also Godwin has the superior athletic measurables, better breakout age. Uh, Galladay is already nearly 25. Godwin's only 22 and a half. So you put all of this together, it's hard to really go on the side of overpaying for Galladay. On a recent Roto, <clears throat> on a recent Rotoviz radio show with yourself and Matthew Friedman, you hosted a trivia game. Here's a trivia question for you, Dave Cabin. Which wide receiver led the NFL in completed air yards last season? <laughs> Definitely wasn't Mike Evans. Um, I'm going to say Chris Godwin. What? Total completed air yards? Completed air yards. Chris Godwin was only a starter for two games last season. Oh, total completed air yards. I think that we were saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, th- I would thought. Total completed air yards, Dave. This is going to go in the outtakes because you have never sounded less informed. Yeah. Well, I just assumed so quickly that you Total completed air yards in the NFL last season. Who was the league leader? Total completed air yards. Um, I, DeAndre Hopkins? Marvin Jones. Mm, okay. Marvin Jones continues to be the most underappreciated veteran receiver in Dynasty because he's 28 years old. He's past the age apex. He'll be 29 soon, Dave. And then once he's 29, he's going to be 30 soon. And once he's 30, he's going to be out of the league. So why even bother owning him in Dynasty? He's just too old. I'd rather chase youth. That's what you should be doing in Dynasty, just stockpiling all the young players that are unproven. You don't need Marvin Jones, even though he's proven himself to be a fantastic receiver. You have to be a fantastic receiver. Understanding the nuances of the game and being able to leverage all the micro advantages on a football field that are presented to you in order to lead the league in completed air yards when you're outside the top 20 in targets. Like, that's a riddle, Dave. How does Marvin Jones finish outside the top 20 wide receivers and targets, but lead all wide receivers in completed air yards? Because he's fantastic. He's Marvin Fantastic Jones. His name is too boring. Golden Tate has an exciting name. Marvin Jones does not. And yet Tate still insists on calling himself Showtime, even though his name's already golden. Marvin Jones doesn't bother because he's already so good looking. He knows the name doesn't matter. But for fantasy football, we don't always have the headshot pulled up. And a boring name can help to elicit Marvin Jones fatigue. And that's what's been happening. You can get Marvin Jones for a couple second rounders and a couple NFL backups. And congratulations, you have yourself a Marvin Jones, one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. And the Lions have the best talent configuration in their wide receiver core because they're leveraging wide receiver specialists better than any other team in the league. You have Marvin Jones, who is an air yard specialist, and you have Golden Tate, who is a yak specialist. Golden Tate is number one in the NFL in yards after the catch. Marvin Jones, number one in the NFL in completed air yards. They complement each other perfectly. Then you drop Kenny Galladay into that group. A big, versatile receiver that can do that is good in all quadrants. If you're a Detroit Lions fan, you have to be very excited. If you are a Matthew Stafford owner in Dynasty, you have to be very excited. And if you have the opportunity of acquiring Kenny Galladay or Chris Godwin, you need to pivot to Chris Godwin because the target competition is much greater in Detroit. Marvin Jones is a better receiver in a vacuum 
than Mike Evans. Golden Tate is a better receiver in a vacuum than Deshaun Jackson. So I agree with you. That's the reason why you go out and you get Chris Godwin because he does not have the same level of target competition and he could pop in a big way. I think that for Kenny Galladay to pop the way Chris Godwin's going to pop this year, you'd need an injury to either Marvin Jones or Golden Tate. And both of those wide receivers have a long track record of health at the NFL level. So good luck with that one. So good luck wishing for one of those guys to get hurt. It's not going to happen. Get Chris Godwin. Now another contrived dichotomy. And I think you would agree with my sentiment that Marvin Jones is a better receiver in a vacuum than Mike Evans. What about Chris Godwin? Do you think that he's a better player than Mike Evans? Uh, I think that it's hard to make the case just because we haven't seen what Godwin can really do yet. I do think, though, if you want to go and attack Evans, we saw him dominate at Penn State. So I'm, I'm the detractors, right, are going to say in the NFL. So the Freedmans of the world are going to point to what Evans has compiled, which I think if you look at his career, you could kind of make the case that Evans has compiled his stats, career reception percentage at 54%, poor production premium, terrible target premium. He's been living off of target distance and size, poor target separation. So really what it comes down to with Evans, he's been good at using his size. He's really good at it. But I think that it's conceivable with what we did see from Godwin at Penn State that he's the more skilled wide receiver with a broader and more complete set of skills. So I guess it depends on how you're framing this. If you're saying better player under that definition. I'm saying if I'm starting a franchise today. Yep. Same contract value. But knowing Chris Godwin's a couple years younger, he does have that advantage out of the box. You're starting a franchise right now. You go Chris Godwin. You go Mike Evans. Matt. Hello. When I actually look at the numbers and I'm not paying attention to the fact that actually I saw today Evans turned 25. He's already gone for 32 touchdowns, 45,000 receiving yards. He's been a pro bowler. He's gone over a thousand yards twice. If you're really just looking at the players in isolation, you remove those pieces from it. I think that you might end up going Godwin. So I don't know if I can really go ahead and say it yet, but I think it's certainly a realistic possibility that Godwin is better than Evans. I'll give you that. When Godwin has received a snap share above 75%, he's commanded over nine targets per game, Dave. And in the final game last year against New Orleans, matched up with Marshawn Lattimore, 12 targets, seven receptions, 111 yards, and a touchdown. So we have seen it from Chris Godwin at the NFL level. When he's given opportunity, all he does is produce. And the difference between Godwin and Mike Evans is that Godwin produces efficiently. You talked about target premium. Target premium factors out quarterback play by just comparing per target production among the receivers on a particular team. And when you look at all the production posted by Tampa Bay receivers last year, Mike Evans' target premium was negative 17.8%. That was outside the top 90 receivers last year. This is your primary option. This is your number one guy on any given target. He's giving you 17% less than the average Buccaneer receiver, which includes tight ends, running backs, and Adam Humphreys? Fuck Mike Evans. (laughs) (laughs) the most overpaid wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, that's probably fair. And I think most NFL players are underpaid. These are gladiators playing a violent sport and suffering brain trauma in the process. You'll very rarely hear me say that an NFL player is quote-unquote overpaid. That's just not a sentiment that ever occurs to me, except with Mike Evans. (laughs) 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 With Mike Evans, he is overpaid. He's stealing. 
the thing that always bothers me too when people talk about uh, athletes being overpaid is this is something where we can really measure how good somebody is at something to a very large extent. And you can say these are the single best people in the world at this particular skill, which entertains so many people. You know, you hear it just bothers me because I'm like, this is something that we can see. These people have something that's so special that other people don't. It makes sense to me that it gets rewarded. And like you said, there's so much that they're risking going out there every time. They're doing something so few people can do. It just makes sense to me. And we love it so much. We love watching it. Yeah. We love the sport. I mean, really, what would life be without these guys going out there? My life would, wouldn't be as good. They're providing a great service and great value to our culture. Yeah. Leisure time is critical for a healthy culture. And thank you to the NFL for providing endless hours of leisure time. And then on top of that, thank you to fantasy football, which is an extra layer of leisure time for which all of us are profiting. <laughs> right there, public enemy number one. Now in dynasty leagues, look at slot receivers. I love slot receivers. Oh, slot receivers. You had to pick a slot receiver in a dynasty league. You go in Cooper Cup, you go in Taewon Taylor. All right. Well, I'll tell you what you what there's to like about Taewon Taylor first. I think one of the things that I do like at 5'11", he's still over 200 pounds. I like that in my slot receivers. I like them to be thick. I like them to be like a golden Tate, right? They can be smaller, but but condensed, thick guys. I think that helps. Um, and I also like, I believe that he actually uh, ended up having a um, pretty good uh, catch radius for a guy that was 5'11". So there's some things that I like. But for me, ultimately, I like Cooper Cup more. I think that in that talented group of receivers that we saw last year, with the Rams, he did differentiate himself. You look at his 23 red zone targets last season. That was more than Watkins and Woods combined. And that's because, like another slot receiver in Jarvis Landry, he is a tactician. He's able to do things that put him in advantageous situations. You look at the profile, there's not as much that's going to pop there as when you look at a guy like Taylor. But overall... I like Cup better. And another thing that goes unnoticed is he's actually a really good blocker. There was lots of times last season he was going out blocking defensive ends, setting up Todd Gurley to get in space and make those big plays. You look at the overall picture, I like Cup more. You're right. I'm shocked. Cup is older, but we prefer proven producers at the wide receiver position. Our recommendation is typically avoid expensive rookie players and put a premium on proven producers. And as much as I love Taewon Taylor's potential, he's not yet a proven producer at the NFL level. Cooper Cup is. And there's not a drastic difference in age. I mean, Cooper Cup is going to be productive for the next five years. He's only 25 years old. Yeah, Taewon Taylor is only a year and a half younger. And that's just not enough of an age disparity to incentivize me to draft the guy with almost no experience over the guy that already has one fantasy relevant season on his resume. And that happened to be his rookie season. That's even more impressive that Cooper Cup's one fantasy relevant season was his rookie season. He was the most productive rookie wide receiver last year. And that matters. But Taewon Taylor is special. And with every preseason game and every practice report and every gif from training camp, he's showing you this. He's outplaying Corey Davis and he has been since he entered the league what if I told you Taewon Taylor is a better player than Corey Davis I think that you'd have to you'd have to convince me of that I'm not I'm not certain I mean you look at Corey Davis and I think one of the things we want him we want to knock him for last season because he did have an opportunity and he wasn't able to produce at the level that he should have 
Mariota in that offense really struggled. I think Mariota only threw, what, like 13 touchdowns, only six went to wide receivers. Davis did have that strong playoff performance when the offense was clicking with two touchdowns. Let's not forget, this was a guy, 95th percentile breakout age, 96th percentile dominator rating. These things matter. Went to Western Michigan, small school. When they played against the Big Ten, he was still successful. There's a lot of things there that are easy to forget with how last season went, but I still think that Davis has the stronger profile and is likely the better receiver than Taylor. We still have Corey Davis much higher on our dynasty rankings, but it's possible we'd be looking back in two years and it's the Taewon Taylor show in Tennessee. And when I look at my dynasty rosters, I see a lot of slot receivers, man. I love slot receivers. Who do you think's the most underrated slot receiver in the NFL? I doubt you're going to like this answer, but it's Jarvis Landry. Somehow, people are still not grasping just how good he is. Even if you go back to college at LSU, in many respects, he hid the talents of Odell Beckham Jr. He outpaced him in dominator rating, Landry in 81st percentile. To Beckham's 66th. I mean, you don't score 10 red zone touchdowns last season and manage five red zone touchdowns per season as a slot receiver at his size if you're not that good. He catches everything you throw his way, more than 75% of passes from short distance. That's his job. He does it better than anybody. Ranked third in yards after the catch last season. And I'm going to tell you something. I think he's going to be good this season. He's as great as he thinks that he is. People don't realize how talented of a receiver he is. Uh, and for that reason, I think he's the most underrated slot receiver. People think that he's just a product of being given this role that he had on the Dolphins. But the Dolphins built that role around him because he is that good. I agree. We have him as a top 15 receiver in Dynasty. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out the player rankings. But I just can't put him ahead of the Julio Jones, AJ Green archetype players because he doesn't have the upside that those players bring to the table week in, week out. Now, who's the most overrated wide receiver in the league? Are we talking fantasy here or skill? Because fantasy, it's Brandon Cooks right now easily. Why is it Brandon Cooks? Why is he overrated? Let's look at the situation here. We've seen Brandon Cooks on two teams with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. That has helped him. He's never been able to demand a very significant target share. I don't think he's gone over 123. He's changed teams a number of times, but I hear people talking about him this year like he's still a lock to be a wide receiver in one. Well, no, 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 no. Yes, no, 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 no. That's not that. No one's saying that. Really? Yes, I've heard that actually on on the Fantasy Pros podcast. I hear I've heard him mentioned as a wide receiver one type of player still. On the extreme cheat sheet in our draft kit, we have Brandon Cooks projected to score less fantasy points than Michael Crabtree, Marvin Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, Demarius Thomas, Chris Hogan, Golden Tate, Adam Thielen, Tyree Kill, Doug Baldwin, Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah. And of course, Jarvis Landry and Allen Robinson and Amari Cooper and on 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 down the list. Yeah. And I mean, even if we want to extend that more and say something like a top 16 lock or something like that, I still don't think that's necessarily clear. The wide receiver after Brandon Cooks on this cheat sheet in PPR leagues, it's Jamison Crowder. Ooh, interesting. Because Jamison Crowder is another highly underrated slot receiver. He is going to be a target monster in that Washington offense. Josh Doxson is not going to fire. And if you assume that Josh Doxson is not happening, then due to the law of the conservation of targets, you have to be buying Jamison Crowder and Paul Richardson. Yeah, I mean, I actually came out with um, 
Crowder over 200 points um, in, in my projections going for my best guess of what's going to happen, which actually was pretty competitive. Uh, I think Crowder, too, had a pretty good historical projection. We have Jamison Crowder projected to score exactly 200.0 fantasy points in PPR leagues. Yep. Yeah, I had him at 202. Amazing. Good job, Dave. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You know, that that's what we strive for, right? Um, and I had him around like 21% of the passing offense. So I think there's upside there too, because he very realistically could attain a stronger percentage, especially if we see Jordan Reed miss time, which seems like a foregone conclusion, though Vernon Davis is a decent replacement. There's still upside for Crowder in there. I think last season isn't really, uh, reflective of what you could see with a guy like Crowder. So uh, I'm, I'm with him. I'm happy you brought him up. But don't forget about Paul Richardson in Dynasty Leagues in particular. His dominator rating over 45% at Colorado. And he commanded the third highest contract in free agency. Paul Richardson is making Allen Robinson money. And yet he's an afterthought in Washington because, oh, Josh Doxson's there. He's ready to break out. No, he's not. It's not going to happen. Isn't Richardson faster than Doxson? So if you want to to talk about, you know, like a downfield stretcher type of guy that's going to fit in with Alex Smith, who actually that's was right. incredible last season going downfield, yeah. it's going to be Richardson, not Doxson. Richardson is a better field stretcher than Josh Doxson. Josh Doxson looks the part of a one-dimensional red zone weapon, but that's not a consistent weekly producer in fantasy football leagues. Don't be surprised when Paul Richardson vastly outscores Josh Doxson. Paul Richardson is to Josh Doxson what Kenny Stills is to Devontae Parker. You agree? Wait, can you say that again? I feel like we're taking the SAT. <laughs> Paul Richardson is to Josh Doxson what Kenny Stills is to Devontae Parker. Oh, yes, yes. Kenny Stills is the far superior player. Thank you. I think that Kenny Stills is a guy that's going to surprise this year. You're going to see that team use him in a number of different ways that we haven't seen in the past. I think overall he's a much more solid player. If anybody's going to pick up that vacated target share of Landry's, it's going to be Kenny Stills and then to some extent Albert Wilson. I think Parker has had his chance. Unlike Jay Cutler would tell you, Parker is not an Alshon Jeffrey prototype Kenny Stills is the better receiver. I think that he's a guy that I'm targeting a lot because for whatever reason, as a number one on his team, which he will be, there's not a lot of hype surrounding Kenny Stills. So it's a really solid situation for Stills. In a dynasty startup, in the rounds that a Jameson Crowder and a Kenny Stills and a Paul Richardson are available, there are very few productive running backs available. That's why in a dynasty startup, you're incentivized to spend your early draft picks on running backs. Lock in your bell cow backs in those early rounds and then stockpile wide receivers. It's just so exciting to just stockpile these receivers in rounds 5 through 20 in a Dynasty League startup. Get your Taewon Taylors and your Chris Godwins and your Jamison Crowders and your Paul Richardsons because the fantasy output that you get from these late-round wide receivers in Dynasty startups vastly exceeds the production of those late-round running backs, which are merely dart throws. Now, how do you like your eggs, Dave? I'm not a very picky food person, so I like eggs in all varieties. I would say the three type of eggs that I like the most are sunny side up on toast. I also enjoy a good scrambled egg and a good omelet. I like getting cheese involved in the eggs. If I have to pick one egg, if I could have a world-class chef make me one breakfast, it would involve 
an omelet. I want a variety of cheeses in this omelet. I want it to incorporate maybe some salsa, some sour cream, maybe some ham. Put a little southwestern flair on it. I'm going with the omelet. A well-cooked omelet is better than any other type of egg. You've unknowingly walked right into another mansion lifestyle segment. And the key to making great eggs is you cannot overcook the eggs. I watched a world-class chef make an omelet, and I was surprised when he turned that omelet over, folded it. And when you're making an omelet, the most important aspect of making an omelet is picking the right pan. You need to have a nice small pan that creates the right shape of the omelet and, and enables you to easily fold the omelet. And I was dumbstruck when the chef took the omelet off when the eggs appeared to still be raw in the middle. But what happens is when you're cooking both sides of the omelet, it heats the eggs on both sides, and you've sandwiched now the raw eggs in the middle. And if you take it off before you believe the omelet is actually done, it will finish cooking off the burner. That way you don't overcook the eggs and burn the underside of the omelet. And by the time you take a bite of that omelet, it is going to be perfectly cooked, but you took it off at a time that was counterintuitive. It didn't feel done, but you got to trust me. Take it off the flame before you believe it's done. And with scrambled eggs, you need to keep those scrambled eggs at a low temperature. I like half yolk scrambled eggs. So every other egg, I take out a yolk. That can lighten your eggs, make them more fluffy. Less yolk, more fluffy. Then I add some water. Then I... Beat the eggs, but not too vigorously. Just a light beating. You don't want a consistent texture. Then you turn that pan on low. It takes time, Dave. It takes time, but it's worth it. The chemistry of the egg is such that if you overheat it, it ruins the texture. It's rubbery, not fluffy. So as long as you keep those eggs off an intense flame, and you just slowly turn them, slowly turn them, slowly turn and mix those scrambled eggs. Eventually, they will congeal, and they will be, oh, oh, so fluffy. And that lifestyle hack was brought to you by, wait for it, wait for it, oh, wait for it, Dave, FF Draft Prep. I have the founder of FF Draft Prep on the program with me today. So, Dave, please do us the honor and tell the audience about FF Draft Prep. What the hell is it and why should they get it? Okay, well, so ffdraftprep.com, that's my site where I've been selling Excel-based tools for a number of years now, most notably our draft tool. Now, you might think, Excel, mm, what can this tool be? Well, it's a full-fledged draft mock draft simulator built into this tool, but more importantly, it is what you need to help you be organized have a holistic view of everything that's going on during your draft, have information that your competitors don't so that you're always a step ahead of them. The tool is built around tiers and organizing information in a way that you have the permanent information that you need. You're not flooded with all this noise. It's allowing you to view very easily the quality of, av of available players against the demand for those players in your draft. You customize it on so many league specifics, you can import your own metrics. You could bring in the rankings from Player Profiler into this tool, mm. have it all displayed nicely, but really it's about giving you just the information that you need so you're staying ahead of your competitors. And the cool thing about this tool is 
you can instruct it. If you know you're going to be playing in a league that's a running back heavy league, when you're mock drafting, you can go in. You can tell you're in a running back heavy league. If you know the players that you're playing against, let's say you've been in the league 10 years, you can make certain teams go extremely aggressive towards one position. There's just so much customization that you can do to simulate what your league might be like. But more importantly, it gets back to you're not going off of some projections of some expert. You can put in your own tiers. You're not getting caught into these traps that you have where you see the projection from one player or the tool looks and it's giving you whatever player has been ranked highest by the experts on that site. It's looking at what's happened in your league, the guys that have been taken, available players left, who you've selected, the teams around you to guide you in the right direction using tiers, which I believe are the optimal way to draft. And then using your preferences to steer you in the direction of the position at that particular pick that's going to optimize your draft, considering roster construction and all of these specifics that you're a more intelligent drafter. Go to ffdraftprep.com. Check it out. You're going to practice with this tool. You're going to be ready for the season. You're going to know how to use the tool. And in your draft, you're going to be the most prepared, well thought out and rational drafter. I love the competitive intelligence. You can see the position ownership by team and better understand position scarcity. And at the end of a draft, when you're thinking about taking a quarterback, you'll know right away whether the teams between you and your next draft pick already have quarterbacks. Because sometimes teams take two quarterbacks a lot earlier than you would take one quarterback. And it's hard to understand how many of your competitors still need quarterbacks. Well, this tool illuminates that for you and can help you make the decision whether or not to draft a quarterback in round 14 or just wait until round 15. Yeah, basically at any second in the draft, every piece of information you'd want to know, you can see very quickly the teams around you. Let's say you're at the turn. Great example. You're tinkering between going with a running back or a wide receiver. You look, you see those teams between you have yet to take a wide receiver. That's pretty good intel. If you want to get that wide receiver, you need to draft him with that pick. But more importantly, too, you can uh, very efficiently determine if those teams have quality players at the position because that's going to factor into it. If the team does not have quality players at their wide receiver position, they're going to go for it. They have a couple, one or two wide receivers in high tiers that can instruct you as well. So these are just examples of all of the information is right there at your fingertips. Like every thought process that you would have as an intelligent drafter, which you are because you listen to this show, everything you need, it's there in that summary format. And like I've said, there's other tools out there that give you a lot of noise, things that don't matter when you're drafting. I have spent six years, literally thousands of hours removing that noise, giving you just what you need. So, you know, if you want to be the smartest drafter in the room, I think that you need to check it out. And I also think it's a great way to prep for your league because at the end of a mock draft that you do with this tool, you can do a analysis where you look at a team that you could have drafted. You can see at every pick, the players that would have been available. So you can workshop saying to yourself, should I have taken Jarvis Landry with this pick? If I went running back here, what would the ramifications in my roster have been? So you're building out an alternate team in the way that that mock draft went. So you study your these drafts that you do, these mocks. You can see the mistakes that you're making, how you can approach things differently. Uh, and I mean, very honestly, I started this in the beginning six years ago just because I wanted to be a smarter drafter and I wanted to have the best tool out there. I wanted to be able to draft with something that wasn't based on antiquated concepts like value-based drafting that go out the window when you include flex positions. 
I wanted things that weren't looking uh, to give me the recommendation. I wanted to be making that decision, but have all the information that I would need. So I don't think I need to belabor it much more. Just go to ffdraftprep.com, check out the tutorial videos, look at some of the material that we have. There's still the version from 2017, which is available for free to download. Try that out. But the 2018 version blows that thing away. Um, I really think that you're going to like it. So just go and check it out. At the end of the day, you want to be a smarter drafter. I think this is how you do it. Congratulations on taking a two-minute read and turning it into a five-minute live read. You got to love it. The Sonic Truth Podcast, hosted by Dave Cabin, and maybe Matt Kelly will get a word in. <laughs> all right. So you, you have all people. Is there, eh, whenever this show wanders off topic, the way to get the audience back and engaged, locked in, is to talk rookies. That's right. This is a Dynasty League podcast. This rookie wide receiver class yep. is intriguing. It's shaping up to be a better class than many anticipated. Do you think this rookie wide receiver class is underrated? I think that if you look at players in isolation, it might not appear to be underrated. But I think what we're seeing is a reaction to how strong that 2014 class was and how saturated the position was for a number of years. But what people are failing to see is that when we head into next season, I think there's going to be a lot of players in situations that are going to position them very well for fantasy success. Uh, I mean, Christian Kirk, Michael Gallup, Cortland Sutton, even Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore. I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be in great situations. One of those Packers wide receivers will likely emerge. So I think in that regard, it's underrated. If you're looking at players individually, perhaps there's not these players that really pop, that really get you excited. But I, as I said, I think these guys are positioned for success. So I think we should be a little bit more excited about this class than it seems. I'm ready to call it. Anthony Miller is going to be good. If there has been a rookie wide receiver that has been popping in preseason, it is Anthony Miller. I mean, Anthony Miller is the truth. And I am proud to say that we've had Anthony Miller in our top five rookie rankings all along. And now I'm thinking we should have had him higher, but we couldn't have him any higher because he's about to turn 24 years old. <laughs> With a 29, with a 21.9 breakout age. So anytime you have a 21.9 breakout age, you should be happy to be ranked in the top five on the player profiler rookie rankings. But I would now be shocked if Anthony Miller doesn't shred this league. The question is, will Anthony Miller outproduce Allen Robinson? I mean, we're at that point now where Allen Robinson hasn't been heard from in camp because he's still rehabilitating a torn ACL. And it has allowed Anthony Miller to hog all the targets in training camp and to look like the most dominant rookie wide receiver in this class. I mean, how excited are you about Anthony Miller? I gotta be honest, I'm not as excited as you are. One of these reasons is I'm not buying into this narrative that the Bears are the 2018 version of the 2017 Rams. I still think that we're not necessarily looking at this situation where this offense is going to take these great strides. Uh, last season, they definitely struggled. I understand you're bringing in a new regime, but I'm not really certain that I can get behind, at least this season, if you're talking about about Anthony Miller as an instant uh, contributor. I do think if Allen Robinson gets back, he's he's the superior player at this point. Uh, so I'm, I'm clearly not as high on Miller as you are. Allen Robinson's ACL will be healed by the start of the season. And that's what matters. In fact, 
2017 injuries are often buying opportunities for 2018. So which injured player from 2017 do you think will be the best value heading into this year? That's a it's a weird answer here because I think that Chris Thompson saw a spike in value when Darius Geis went out. Now, there are questions surrounding Thompson that scare me about his recovery from injury. But now that they're bringing in Adrian Peterson, I'm hoping that people are going to be fooled into thinking that that is going to eat into what Thompson can do, which doesn't really make much sense. The jury's out on if Peterson still has it. But this team needs to use Thompson out of the backfield in the receiving game. He was fantastic last season as a receiver before going down with injury. And I think that for some people, this kind of came out of nowhere to some extent, but the team needs to use him. He's coming back from the injury. Doesn't matter if Peterson's there. Doesn't matter uh, if Rob Kelly and his 4-8-40 are playing in front of him. Thompson's going to get used. I know Adrian Peterson once upon a time was one of the most explosive size adjusted athletes at the running back position. I get it, but he's now in his early thirties and I can guarantee you there are better options on the waiver wire than Adrian fucking Peterson. Now, speaking of injuries, the most horrific injury suffered by an NFL player in recent years, Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. Complete knee reconstruction and he's playing well. And He's still the third quarterback on the Jets' depth chart. Looks like they'll be starting Sam Darnold with Josh McCown backing him up, making Teddy Bridgewater the third banana on that Jets' quarterback depth chart. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to use the phrase third banana. I will reverse engineer a question so I can say third banana. Where should Teddy Bridgewater be traded? I hope that he gets traded to Buffalo so that there's some hope for Corey Coleman. I mean, that's the obvious answer but the buffalo bills think josh allen is good so if he can't go to buffalo then where Ooh, um i think it's got to be miami because ryan Tannehill is rehabilitating his own knee injury so you might as well stack two recently injured quarterbacks and whoever can stay the healthiest wins the job i mean that really is how it should work That's not what's going to happen. The Dolphins are committed to Ryan Tannehill and nothing behind him, which is one of the reasons why the Dolphins will continue to be the Dolphins because they're delusional enough to think that they can just roll with Ryan Tannehill this year and the worst backup quarterback in the NFL behind him. Miami has the worst quarterback room in the NFL and it might not be close. One of the best quarterback rooms is always the room with Philip Rivers in it. Because Philip Rivers, I believe, is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in Dynasty. And you threw out a shock stat about Philip Rivers on the Rotoviz radio show. Care to share? Yeah, so since 2013, total touchdown passes. Naturally, you have Breeze, Rodgers, and Brady. But the guy behind them is Philip Rivers. I forget the touchdown total now, but it was actually a, a pretty impressive one. And I, I forget if it was on here on that show where we mentioned Rivers looks like one of those guys that um, is always just kind of middling around. But sometimes his stats actually really do pop. And touchdown, I like on a week-to-week basis, if I'm streaming quarterbacks or I'm looking for a guy in a shallow league, those touchdowns are huge. So for Phillip Rivers, uh, I don't know if he's the most underrated quarterback in Dynasty. I'd say that it's Tyrod Taylor, but I think Rivers is up there. We do a lot of contrived dichotomies on this show. Contrived dichotomies. And I would challenge you to find two players that are more similar than Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers on a per-game basis. Their statistics over the last 10 years have been identical. They're the same age, 
And the only reason that Ben Roethlisberger is one slot ahead of Philip Rivers on the player profiler dynasty rankings is because Ben Roethlisberger's supporting cast is superior. I mean, that's the reason. I think that Ben Roethlisberger's supporting cast is superior, but I also believe that Philip Rivers will play longer. So their dynasty values are equivalent. But there are two older players ahead of them. One of them, of course, is Tom Brady. The other is Drew Brees. Now, Drew Brees only threw the ball 537 times last year. One of the more surprising stats in 2017. Now, was that a blip or is that a new trend for Drew Brees? I think that it's going to fall out uh, being more of a trend than people want to believe. So if you go back and you look at uh, the last um, five years, they were averaging 637 attempts as recently as 2016, 674 I think they were at that 536 for a reason. They have two running backs that are exceptional, but the defense has improved. The identity of this team has changed. And with how good they are now, they can rely on running the ball more. So I do think that the total is going to come up. Friedman and I on Rotoviz Radio got into a bit of an argument. We set the over-under at 593, and I think we're going to come out much closer to that. Now, does that preclude Breeze from being a solid quarterback this season? I don't think that it does, but I do think that it will make him uh, a little bit have a bit more of a challenge hitting those 30 plus touchdown totals than we might have seen in the past. But I don't think that you can expect this team to rise back, especially this will impact the receivers back to that 670 passing attempt type of total. I ride with Drew Brees. When you put together 10 straight seasons of prolific production, I'm more likely to zoom out and tag that one season with 537 attempts as a blip, not a trend. But you might be right because the defense is not going away and the running game is not going away. This team has the best run blocking unit in the league and an ascending defense. So when those are your strengths, it's difficult for the quarterback to throw the ball 600 times. It just is. But then I put myself in the shoes of Sean Payton and I'm about to call a play. What am I going to do? I'm going to call a play featuring Drew Brees because that's how you win football games. Do you think Josh Gordon will be helping the Browns win football games this year? Do you trust Josh Gordon? Oh boy, it's it's tricky. I actually think that if... yeah. I owned Gordon. I'm not going to try to sell him. I'm going to hold and see what can happen. Uh, I think it's worth it, especially if you're one of these people that has stuck with him through all of it. There are some signs, and we can only really speculate as to what's going on. I do think it's encouraging that he has been in the Browns facility. He's been on the side of the field while the rest of the team has been practicing. It's inconclusive, but I do trust if he gets on the field that his talent is going to prove itself Again, he's going to be a significant player in an offense that's going to substantially improve this season. I don't think it's the right time to sell Gordon right now. I would hold him if I can't move him, if things don't start to materialize when good reports are coming out. uh, I'm just going to ride it and see what happens. That might be crazy, but that's what I would do. It's an upside play. If you have the luxury of stashing a high upside player like Josh Gordon, you do it. But if you don't have wide receiver depth, Or if you're rebuilding, you should be trading Josh Gordon. Now look at the Jaguars. We talked about inexpensive receivers that you can hoard in the middle and late rounds in dynasty startups. Well, that includes numerous wide receivers on Jacksonville. And recently, reports have surfaced that Marquise Lee and Keelan Cole will be the starters in two receiver sets. Are you surprised by that? And do you believe there's value there? Um, 
You know, I'm not super surprised that it ended up being Cole when you look at how he finished the season last year. He had a four-game stretch with three touchdowns. To put it in context, averaged 20 fantasy points. In fact, he was the wide receiver one in 2016. So I think what you're seeing is a carryover from last season. Uh, It's easy for the reports to point towards it being Cole. But I'm kind of viewing the way that this wide receiver core is going to shake out is that it's going to be in flux as the season moves along. For that reason, I'm going to go with Westbrook, who is likely going to be able or he's likely going to be available later. I think he's the better receiver than Cole. No, 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 no. He's a Bolitnikov winner, but he ain't better than Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole is the best receiver on that team. You think he's better than uh, DJ? He can do it all. Keelan Cole is a possession receiver who can also deliver splash plays. Who fits that description? Antonio Brown? All right, all right. There are very few wide receivers that fit that description. Keelan Cole happens to be one of them, and he checks the boxes that we're looking for. Like Dominator Rating, one of the most impressive Dominator Ratings in the player profiler database belongs to Keelan Cole. I'm happy stacking these Jacksonville wide receivers, knowing they're going to upgrade the quarterback position next season. There's value there because Blake Bortles will not be the quarterback for long. That's part of the reason why I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver core is a value den. Keelan Cole has upper percentile agility and posted a 60% dominator rating with a 20.0 breakout age. So there's no red flags on this profile other than his straight line speed. He's not that fast. But the workout metrics did not align with the efficiency metrics last year as Keelan Cole was delivering multiple long touchdowns. So like Antonio Brown, Keelan Cole is able to overcome a lack of speed and burst and leverage great technique and an understanding of the nuances of the position to be successful. And he's only in his second year in the league as an undrafted free agent seizing a starting role in this offense, competing with D.D. Westbrook and Dante Moncrief and D.J. Chark. And every day these wide receivers go out and prove themselves in practice. Keelan Cole is showing that he's the best of the bunch. But I also think that D.D. Westbrook is worth stashing, as is D.J. Chark. You're not going to find a less expensive second-round pick who has the youth of D.J. Chark. The only wide receiver in this receiving core I'm not interested in is Dante Moncrief. Get out of here with Dante Moncrief. You can load Dante Moncrief onto a rocket ship with Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson and send them to outer space. Just get them away from my dynasty teams. Are you there, Dave? Yeah, I am. Sorry, I didn't know if I was supposed to go. I don't know if I actually have much to add to that. No, you don't. I did a great job there. (laughs) So we talked briefly about Tom Brady. He and Drew Brees are the most valuable aging quarterbacks in Dynasty still. But at what point does the loss of weapons hurt Tom Brady? I have to say that I don't think that time is now. I still think that there's enough players in that roster that he's going to be able to use in ways that make sense to allow him to be successful. We've just seen this too often. He's still playing at such a solid level. I actually think that he's been a little bit better the last couple of seasons than he was if you go back maybe four years. He's just been great. And I don't think 
that uh, there's much to worry about. I think that Hogan, he will be able to use when Edelman comes back, will be fine. I do think he's going to be able to get production out of Decker. They'll find a way to use some combination of Kenny Britt or uh, Braxton Berrios, Riley McCarron. Somebody can come up and fill this role and Brady will find a way to use them. So I'm not too concerned. And plus, he'll, st- he'll still have Gronk. Great running backs. James White, they can basically use like a receiver. So I think that he's going to be fine. James White is absolutely a buy, and Tom Brady is a buy in Dynasty Leagues. I recently traded for Tom Brady in the Ultimate Dynasty Podcasters League. I gave up Willie Sneed in a 2019 first-round pick for Tom Brady, Alan Hearns, and a 2019 fourth-rounder in a Superflex League. (laughs) So this loss of weapons makes James White a screaming value. He's rising up. Yeah, the player profiler dynasty rankings quickly, but it also makes Gronk a lock to be the number one tight end in fantasy, right? Well, we're seeing an odd thing with Gronk, uh, which is this season, I think on a point per game basis, it's hard not to view him as the tight end one. Yeah, because he is. Or similar to what he's been in the years past. Because, I mean, there's no reason that volume should drop. If anything, it should go up. He's the best tight end of all time. He has the best tight end season in fantasy football history. And he's not yet 30 years old. He's still at the peak of his powers. There's nothing not to like about Rob Gronkowski. If anything, he's walking into the best situation of his career with the least target competition. Yeah, and the weird thing is, so I've been tracking Gronkowski's ADP very closely because I actually, in the drafting software, had to implement something I call the Gronkowski fix, which was regardless of what the tool thinks going on with tight end, it needs to recognize that Gronk is different and that very rarely does he slip out of the middle first round. This year, it's different. I didn't have to have the Gronkowski fix kick in until closer to the third because people are drafting him later, and that's incongruent. If anything, this is the season I think it makes more sense to go for him early than it has in the past. Bingo. I'm going to give you the correct answer sound effect. This is your first correct answer sound effect of the day. Nice. Late in the show, you got the correct answer sound effect because it was just such a perfectly crafted response. So everyone knows Gronkowski, but give us a player a lot of people don't know, a player you qualify for truth or status on. Okay. Well, I guess people do know this player, but the guy that I would say I've held on to for so long, even though I'm at the point that I don't really like him, but he's stayed on my rosters. I've been waiting and hoping for him. Uh, It's Tyler Lockett, and I think this is the year it's finally going to be realized. It has to. We track vacated targets in our draft kit, and no team has more vacated targets than the Seattle Seahawks. And who will be the greatest beneficiary of those vacated targets? It's Tyler Lockett, and it's the player I qualify for truther status on. It's Jerron Brown. Jerron Brown is the ultimate truther because at age 28, he's not yet broken out, but he's athletically similar to a fantastic receiver we talked about earlier, Marvin Jones. And Jerron Brown will be the number three option tethered to Russell Wilson for an offense that does not have a tight end of consequence. Jerron Brown's target share is going to shock fantasy gamers this year. Now, I'll get you out of here on this. I need one very, 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 I mean, very, the veriest bold prediction for 2018. 
Tyrod Taylor holds off Baker Mayfield for the whole season and finishes as a top five fantasy quarterback. Tyrod Taylor holds off Baker Mayfield for the whole season and finishes as a top five fantasy quarterback. Love it, bro. That's what we call a show. I didn't need to add an extra crescendo. You hit that note perfectly at the end. I almost want to give myself a correct sound effect for that. Well, we just give you the closing sound of the Sonic Truth. Not that you would know you don't listen to the show, but at the end... There's some really great closing music that starts with this bell. So you're going to get the closing bell. Nice, nice. Into the outro. Not that you would know you don't listen to the show. According to Reddit, I am public enemy number one. Well, I have a message for all you Redditites. You don't matter. Print off your whining diatribe, roll it up, and shove it up your ass. <laughs> they cut Terrence West. Why, why am I the only one that thinks it's a big deal? I guess when Ingram's out, just rely on Kamara a little bit in the running game, and they basically just go back to passing. I know a lot of people are expecting them to really revert back with a lot more targets this season. Freeman and I actually got in a little bit of an argument about that. He is of the opinion that the Saints are going to come back this season to start throwing like 650 times again. I see them down below that 600 mark again. I wish we knew how the games were going to go. I wish we knew what kind of shootouts they were going to be in. and what the game situations were going to be and how the defense was going to perform. I don't know how the offensive line. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns here, man. Uh, but I do know that last year was an outlier. The way things shook out last year, that team kind of changed its identity. It worked for them. I don't think they're going to leave what was working last year um, completely. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. It's a tough one. That felt like a good show, man. Actually, I, I thought it was a good flow back and forth between you and Friedman, we kept pretty good pacing. And I actually thought the game at the the game at the end, I'm telling you, people are going to like that. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, they are. They're going to eat that up. I just wish I had said Philip Rivers instead of Matt Ryan. I'm, I'm still mad at myself about that. That would have at least like brought me to zero or something. Well, it kind of made sense on some level too, though, because Ryan had uh, that one season where he balled out. And I feel like Rivers and Ryan fall into a very similar profile. I'm fascinated by the sensation of free-falling with an erection. You're absolutely right about that. And I feel like that's what it's like to tout Josh Allen. Oh, God. Josh Allen playing 16 games. And that would be stunning. Did you ever consider going on steroids and auditioning for WWE? Yes, absolutely. I have a plan in place. Once I turn 60, I'm going to start ramping up the human growth hormone. Oh my gosh. All right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 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 If you did any prep whatsoever, 
looked at the show sheet once! Listen to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once! You would know all these things! Oh my gosh. Drafting LaShawn McCoy never feels good. I don't know if I actually have much to add to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Get out of here with Dante Moncrief. You can load Dante Moncrief onto a rocket ship with Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson and send them to outer space. Just get them away from my dynasty teams. I don't know if I actually have much to add to that. Come on. You don't listen to the show, Dave. Just admit it. I listen sometimes. You don't want the Podfather brand to infiltrate the Dave Cabin approach to podcasting. I get it. I guess you could put it like that, but... You are so full of it. I listen sometimes. Worst case, Royce Freeman is Peyton Barber. Every day, Dave, every day you read something new, a nugget shared by coaches, beat writers, teammates, illuminating the struggles of Ronald Jones. <laughs> Right there, public enemy number one. There should be a disclaimer pasted across the front for entertainment purposes only. Do not actually draft a player for your Dynasty League team based on this analysis because it's based on nothing! Right there, public enemy number one. Congratulations on taking a two-minute read and turning it into a five-minute live read. You gotta love it. The Sonic Truth Podcast, hosted by Dave Cabin. And maybe Matt Kelly will get a word in. Yeah. Right, you put Dion Lewis and LeGarrette Blunt in a particle acceleration chamber, and you turn all the molecules white. Out steps Rex Burkhead. I'm drafting Rex Burkhead with confidence. Why? Because I'm not a doctor. I don't know if I actually have much to add to that. The third banana. I will reverse engineer a question so I can say third banana. Right there, public enemy number one. Can't make the club in the tub. Uh, whereas Galladay is competing with Tanyan Jones. We talk about how Peyton Barber is a lesser version of Royce Freeman. Chris Carson is a lesser version of Peyton Barber. His two years in the league wasn't able to get on the field, sustain any type of momentum, and they're going to move on from him. You're dead wrong. Because he's 28 years old. He's past the age apex. He'll be 29 soon, Dave. And then once he's 29, he's going to be 30 soon. And then once he's 30, he's going to be out of the league. I'm going to say Chris Godwin. The analysis of Film Grinders is some of the best fiction that you will read in sports media. Right there, public enemy number one. Down the list. Ronald Jones checks one box, speed. Oh my gosh. 17% less than the average Buccaneer receiver, which includes tight ends, running backs, and Adam Humphreys? With Mike Evans, he is overpaid. Fuck Mike Evans. Wait, can you say that again? Good job, Dave. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah, you really hogged the microphone with that live read, but other than that... Hey, I think you would do the same thing. <laughs> that's why I said nothing. I did not interrupt. This guy's pulling a Matt Kelly. I want to listen to this. Oh my gosh. Beat the eggs, but not too vigorously. Just a light beating. You know, like I gave to Mike Clay. And they will be, oh, oh, so fluffy. 
Dude, what the hell is a scrambler? You said you put the eggs in the scrambler? Like a bowl. This is going in the outtakes. What are you talking about? It's, it's a bowl. The bowl where you scramble the eggs. This is going in the outtakes. You're going to ruin my mansion lifestyle segment with this tedious question. You're the one that said it. Listen, Dave, you need to be taking notes when I'm talking about making eggs and not asking irrelevant questions. You're the one that said it. I'm just berating you for the outtakes for fun. Okay. And just because it's been so long, the audience deserves this. Right there, public enemy number one.